Again, just a brief word about Mother's Day. Sure that you are treating your mothers and the things of the congregation uh, well each Sunday and each day, treasuring their hard work, the blessings of motherhood, and those among us who celebrate that and give thankfulness to their faithfulness uh, to our families and our church family uh, today. But as we move, as we continue to move forward um, with, with the book of Genesis, it's interesting to hear. Um, as you approach, the final statement of the text that's read for you is, um, we'll get to in just a few moments, but verse 17, everything that is on the earth shall die. It's interesting as a, as a unit um, that, that the flood is being announced uh, that's coming, it's moving from verse 9 forward, and then you get that statement, 17, everything on the earth is going to die or shall die. And you began the unit in chapter 5, verse 1. Where this is the book of the generations of Adam and God created. So you've moved all the way through chapter 5, the very beginning of 5, and through a large portion of 6. Um, you, you've covered a span of human history to that point. It, it's interesting from a large perspective when we step back and consider the text all together. We move from the creation of Adam all the way to this desperate move of destroying the earth with the In the movement of one chapter, less than one whole chapter. It just tells you about the escalation of wickedness, just how quickly things began to go awry, and just how desperate the earth was by the time the flood was being announced. Um, I want to zero in on the question this morning uh, in the passage what does it mean uh, that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord? What does it mean, according to verse 8? That Noah, so out of this uh, creation story, uh, the generations of Adam, when God created man and woman, and then you go through five and all the people, and, and then you get to this statement by the mid-six that the earth is going to be destroyed. Everything must die. But then standing out is this man, Noah. And then there's this statement attached to him in verse 8. <clears throat> Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So again, the entire earth is facing catastrophe, but a single man stands out that we are told about. His name is Noah. And what we know about him at this point that stands out is simply this, this statement. He found faith in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, on the one hand, it, 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 it tells us much about God's God, genuinely speaking, it tells us about his general compassion and his universal mercy. When you understand Noah, he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. What do we learn from that about the Lord? But that he is compassionate. That he has mercy towards his creation. We learned that very soon by that statement that Noah is a man who found such. And it tells us something about that general compassion or that universal mercy that God here in this situation where the earth is full of wickedness, God desires to preserve the human race so that not everyone will perish. How is he going to do so? To this man who found faith. Calvin explains it this way. He says, quote, here we may know that God yielded to his mercy 
midst of his wrath, which resulted in the renewed hope that the human race would be restored after the greatest plan that is about to take place. So, on one hand, the statement, no found favor in the eyes of the Lord, tells us much about the Lord, about God's compassion, about his mercy, generally speaking. But on the other hand, the words, no found favor, also tells us something about God's particular compassion and his You see, the expression found favor is a rare one. It's a very rare expression in Scripture when it's said outright that an individual has found favor in God's sight. Such an expression occurs in Exodus 33 17, referring to Moses, putting Moses and Noah on part of as these men who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Such a terminology refers to God's grace. And the way that we have to think of it here as we're reading with Noah is that the expression found favor refers to God's grace which precedes anything within, anything around anything about Noah as a And it's this particular and this intimate grace which flows to man Noah from God's sovereign election. It is the election that is free. The election that is Sometimes, perhaps, maybe you have heard it spoken of as unconditional election. But what do we mean by unconditional election? If we think of this man, Noah, who stands out in the human race as a man here that we learn about, eight folks who are saved from absolute capacity, a white of the earth clean, but eight members who will so be saved. You find out the statement of what took place place in Manoah, you found favor. And we understand this expression found favor is annexed, tied to election. What do we mean by unconditional election? We mean simply this that eternal act of God, whereby He, out of His own sovereign good pleasure, chooses some individuals to be recipients of his special grace and eternal salvation. This is what we mean by election without condition. A free and sovereign eternal act of God. It is Undeserved faith. And this, this, it's important as we move forward with this 
picture of Noah. This, this man stands out as one who found favor. He, he found it. God looked upon him with favor. Freely, he acted toward Noah. Compassion and mercy. It's important as we understand that free and undeserved favor serves as the origin of Noah's integrity and righteousness. Let me read that again. Just um, as you notice the, the raccoons, we received an email from them earlier this week that they were that they were alive. We find out this morning at 7:30 they're not. <laughs>
grace, this thing is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This is what we unpack in the New Testament, and this is what we have here in the statement simply Noah, long men, found favor in the eyes now, as we proceed through the text then into verse 9, so we consider verse 8 just momentarily. We can read it there in the text, but Noah found favor. This is the distinction between Noah and other men. Noah and other individuals. Noah distinctly found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But as we proceed then into verse 9, we see the effects of God's loving grace in Noah's life. That is, again, this, this undeserved favor serves as the origin of Noah's integrity. It's not working the other way. That Noah's integrity and righteousness that he himself established reference back to the statement that he found favor due to his behavior, due to his inherent righteousness. That it's working the other way. This individual found favor, and then the effects of said favor flow in verse 9. Verse 9 says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah, what we need to know about Noah, in his life, and the effects of sovereign grace, if faith, he walked with God. Now, it's important for us this morning to consider the whole entire picture of Noah's walk with God. And, and, and perhaps we think that the first time that, that Noah experienced this mercy or experienced this sovereign grace in his life of God is at the point of where God brought him into the ark of safety. That this physical structure that he built and his family moving into it is this momentary act of God's grace in the life of Noah. But we would be misreading the text if we considered it that way. Because notice carefully in the text that God did not preserve Noah for the very first time when he placed him and his family in the ark. Rather, as you consider the text, we walk through bit by bit just for a moment. Noah's righteousness and blamelessness is in direct contrast to the prevailing wickedness of his generation. You see the difference. Noah was a righteous individual. Noah was a man who persevered by faith. Noah was a man who walked with God, not at a moment where he then stepped into the ark. But he, he lived by faith throughout his life. And the origin of that walk of faith with God was in the left embrace of God in his life. Look with me at the order of the text. Again, it's important we get it. Verse 8. But the, 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 I'm sorry that the last day before, I'm sorry that I made you. We dealt with this, this regret and this idea of repentance and, and the perspective of God of bringing wrath. And then you have this hard term, verse 8. But Noah, this man Noah, found faith in the eyes of the Lord. The, these are the generations of Noah. This is Noah's life lived out. Noah was a, was a righteous man. And then notice the next thing. Blameless, not without context, 
but importantly for us to understand in his generation. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So Noah was righteous, he was blameless in the context of his generation. Noah walked with God. But what was the context of his generation? What was it like for Noah to walk with God in his generation? Look, it's described to us, verse 11. Now, the earth, that is, the generation that Noah lived within, the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth, and, and just take it in as a student, as a believer, as you see this, that he's speaking so broadly that every corner of human experience where the human had touched and experienced and lived was corrupt. And the earth was filled with violence. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless. Where? In his generation. In the place of corruption and violence. Verse 12. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. You see, the entire earth is filled with pervasive perversion and violence. Every one of Noah's neighbors were given over to violence and perversion. But not Noah. You see, within the context of a wicked generation, think about that for yourself. Think about that. It's not that like Noah was in the undivided, or that you think the very first experience we know of Noah was in the Well, it was kind of easy to know that. He was on the No, 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 no. We're getting ahead of ourselves about that. Talk about God's rescue in the moment we are. Think about God's work in the life of Noah every day we did leading up to the Bible. It was a very different landscape. If we go all the way back to, back to what we believe in Enoch, in chapter 4, in Lamech's offspring, his son Enoch, and all that was taking place there, and the picture of the civilization we had there, and then everything that flowed from there about it was, and one man stood out to us prior to Noah, and that was Enoch, the godly man, who also said, walk in God. Now we have Noah who walked in God. And yet all of the earth, in every form, every relation he experiences, every contractual interaction in God is difficult, corrupt, shady. And yet to know Noah lives with inherited righteousness and righteousness. Contextualize that to your own life in a generation and friendships and blessings and relationships that you have. So you can find it hard for purity of mind to believe. You find it challenging to improve the integrity from cheating the Your ethics 
find it easier to cast shade or to bless you inspire. These habits of the life, these virtues of living, it's easy to decry how wicked a generation is, but what about her role in being salt and light in said generation? You see, the entire earth is being experienced outside eight people and those who are attached to Noah, that Noah himself is a man who stands out as righteous in So one author notes it this way. He says, quote, God had already previously protected Noah in a more excellent He had guided by his Holy Spirit so that he always conducted himself faithfully and persevered in the fear of God. You see, it's not just a moment of being in the ark where Noah experienced the sovereign grace of God, but rather sovereign grace through God's eternal election, God's unmerited favor accounts for all the blessings in Noah's life. So also with you, is it believing? Now again, in the, the world we're going to experience salvation, and, and, and I don't like to put it out until you're wrong. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a bit more risky. But, but when you experience redemption, Experience salvation, experience, you know, my chains fell off, my eyes diffused, I'm living in My chains fell off, but it's not free. Except that it's a little better. The idea. That moment. And maybe, again, some of our lives gets clearer, but the diffusing way get brighter, and we get to understand what took place. Then we have to give a counter articulate to someone, sometimes it's not exactly linear. Easily readily available facts in the surrounding circumstances. Some of us are our own. But one thing we've got all generally share in common, as some degree or another, is that we wouldn't be able to give a theological treatment to final additional lecture uh, prior to the Christ through the civil offer of the gospel. We will contemplate eternal law additional lecture prior to the civil gospel. Uh, it, it's one of those aspects where. Um, Grow in discipleship, we grow in understanding, and, and as a young believer, we begin to read the scripture, and we attend to the Bible studies, or maybe pick up classes, or consider the preaching of the word, and, and, and kind of digest all these bits and pieces that come at us in a different angle, and begin to mature our mind and orient our understanding, not from self plus experience, but from the authority of the word of God. And it's that change, that tilt of change of authority between autonomous authority to God's authority to the other and receives the glory of God. But we can't explain it all and read every dot. But we begin to understand. I will give you this in the first one. And as we, 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 we begin to understand that, it changes my That truly my heart springs forth for him because he reached. And it's that knowledge and that orientation that then shifts where he becomes the king for the life. Just, I begin to understand it differently. My, my, my certitude, my, my gratitude to him in response to what he himself, you allow, has done in my life. 
And sometimes, even when we begin to address that, we think of what's ahead in terms of reduction or in terms of summation. We forget that he upholds my life according to that eternal condition. Being 
thought of my God's blameless or as righteous when I myself experienced in time my own accident and sin. I knew it the second I said it. How? Because whatever is lacking in us, and our deeds of faith and acts of grace and mercy is pardoned in Christ by the Father. And then it's second by him at his pleasure as if the works that we ourselves are human. His elected grace serves as a grounds for your constant preservation. And Noah serves as a powerful example of one who did not yield, apparently even for an hour, to the dominant culture around him. He remained steadfast in his faith by grace. Think about that. So I'm going to read this text. You be thinking of it in terms of yourself, your own walk with you, and the context you experience every day, both with your own filth and with filth around you. It's the curious text fresh. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his Generation. Noah walked with God. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted the way of the earth. 
noble serves as a powerful example of one who did not yield to the dominant culture of God, but he remained steadfast in the faith by grace. How about you? How about you? How the people of God chose on the way this generation did? Succumbing to the dominant cultural themes around us, or standing out as a man who is worthy of emulation, as a man who did what? Carefully stayed walk with Christ. Not because it was just so easy to do so, but a man of righteousness in the It may be, and my contemplations of it this week as we wind down our time together, it may be particularly think of this. Um, uh, I'm not uh, I'm very blessed. I'm always, I'm not always moved to sing during my time of study, uh, rarely ever. But um, I did think this moved me very quickly to these lyrics. Maybe uh, just by the Web Association of Ideas. You're familiar with it as well, and I think of it in terms of knowledge, because it says, oh, two grace. A great See, like, yeah, right, definitely, it's a debtor's grace lacking my redemption in this auxiliary moment. You've got, whoa, wait, time out. That would be like saying Noah experienced God's election of grace when he got out of God. The Old Testament says it's not the case. It's God's free eternal path to bring salvation to the world. So, so, in other words, I'm not owing to the debtor grace as a debtor in some auxiliary moment. And then I'm going to take God. Has a right. See, he says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily, I constrain to Let many appeals, right? Because of grace, grace I'm constrained by what by my, my understanding of what God has done unilaterally in my life to take this dead flesh and give it. I realize daily, voluntarily, he upholds me by that grace. I am constrained by my understanding. And I appeal, let thy goodness, like a fact, bind my body mind to thee. And with Noah and his generation, prone to wander, Lord, I fear. Everyone else. Uh, and I beautiful lyrics. I don't know if we need to substitute the text. I feel it. I'm prone to want it. I feel it. Prone to lead the dialogue. I just I, I begin to bend this direction. So, so that the author hears my heart and takes seal it. Seal it for thy purpose. Noah is a powerful example. Final piece of our text, I'll read 14 through 17, perhaps it's the most important as well. I mean, on the scale, look at verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher Make rooms in the ark, covered inside without a pitch. This is how you make it. The length is 300 cubits, breadth 50 minutes high. Make a roof for the ark and finish it with cubit bar. Set the door on the ark on the side. Make it lower, second, third, next, or behold. 
before the water is not there, it's still in the flesh. Which is bread of white bread. That's what that's not a word. If we were to summarize this text, what is it that we learned in these two verses beginning with the generations of Noah? There's plenty here to learn regarding the seriousness of our sin. You remember last week. That God actually uh, is grieved over the response of what he sees in the immorality of man. There's plenty here to consider the depths of the seriousness of our sins. And then as we move forward in the case of Noah, there's plenty to consider in the inscapability of God's judgment for our sins. The flood is coming. I'm going to kill everything The inescapability of that judgment needs to strike. Because the judgment comes a second in front of God. This would be like Noah heralding out to a wicked generation that this is going to occur. And then, and then the generation would be like, I don't really have a sense of experience with that. And the writer of Hebrews said, Yes, he warned everyone because he believed that things that were totally unsensible, unseen. And he appeals to those around him, Please be moved by things not sensible. You can't taste it. Notice the clear and consistent plan. Right again, inescapability of judgment. Notice the clear and consistent plan of redemption. Salvation, I should say. It's contained in that little statement at the very opening of verse 14. Make yourself an ark of God's work. You see? The implication of no one will see themselves by speaking. There is a point of view of salvation that no one will admit in Arkansas. You will by God's own opinions. The Bible means for you and men on this point to embrace my opinions to get out of God. Do that. That's the meaning. And he's like, well, I was thinking a little bit different. But then he suffers the judgment of everyone else. It's that we receive God's appointed means for salvation and deliverance. There's not a second path, there's not an amended path, and there isn't a self help path where you will swim when the water is You will see. There's one means of deliverance. There's one heart of salvation. It is herein foreshadowed. It is the cross of Christ. And if you go through the text, there's scholars, right? Scholars, people thought it was ridiculous. Absolutely stupid. It was building on fire. Didn't even conceptualize what the world would be doing. And Paul says, again, it's Paul saying, the cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. But those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the cross of Christ. Thank you for this text so clearly for us to the
to achieve to run address the election, move forward with gratitude, fueled by the unmerited grace of our God. Help us to run with the